You're listening to Dancing Around Elephants, a podcast that talks to dancers about the elephant in the room, dance injuries. I'm Dr. Danelle Dixon, a dancer turned physical therapist, and I currently work with dancers to work past their challenges and access the next level in their dance careers. I'm sitting down to talk with dancers about their journey, their injuries, and how they are successfully navigated past the elephant in the room. But I'm going a bit further. I want to talk about all the elephants in the dance room and shed some light on the things that affect many dancers that we seldom talk about. My goal is to change the way that we approach injuries and issues in the dance community, and it all starts with a conversation. Let's get started. Welcome back, guys. This is part two of our conversation with Rachel Fine. Please go back and listen to part one if you haven't already. It was such an amazing conversation and will really set the context for part two. So let's dive right in. So do you think this is a U.S. thing of the issues in the dietetics world or is this a worldwide thing? But how, how big is this problem? You know, I don't really know yet. I'll, I'm going to be, I'm like to be completely transparent. I'm learning so much about it, about this problem. Mm-hmm. It's definitely very big in the U S I don't know much about like the dietetics community elsewhere other than the U S I do know many dietitians from Australia. And mm-hmm. I think that they do struggle with, and the UK, I should say there, there's definitely similar struggles uh, with the UK, the U S and Australia. Other than that, I, I don't really know enough to say like if they're having this similar issues got it got it so how do you think the pandemic has affected the way that we see food in the dance world because this pandemic has let's be honest has kind of shaken us to our core and really readjusted a lot of our expectations and our thoughts how do you think it's affected the way that we see food in the dance world yeah so there's so many different ways honestly I would say the most prominent is that we're seeing a huge emergence of eating disorders simply because dancers have been home for so long and they've had full control over how they've been eating. Mm -hmm. It really was the perfect environment for disordered eating habits to begin because when we do have the ability to have that control over what we're eating, very easy to fall into those repetitive behaviors of like, you know, a lot of dancers will get into quote unquote healthy habits like cooking and, you know, being in charge of their meals and snacks, which is great. This, this definitely encourages confidence in the kitchen and, you know, I'm all for it, but the struggle is now when we start to incorporate, you know, this hopefully vaccinated post pandemic life of getting back into the studios and back out of the house, back into, you know, or, you know, outdoors at restaurants, not having that control in the kitchen, not having control of what you eat. And I think this is where we're seeing a lot of uncertain uncertainty with dancers and a lot of uncovering of disordered eating habits of them not realizing that they actually develop some disordered eating habits. And I'm not necessarily referring to like a full-blown eating disorder, but I'm just referring to the idea of being very comfortable in the foods that you did have access to. So that's like one issue. The, there's there, another issue is the lack of access. You know, a lot of families have been hit hard financially by the p- pandemic. I know a lot of dancers feel very 
upset with the inability to attend summer intensives for both safety and financial reasons. So obviously that's not necessarily directly food related, but lack of access is another problem that we're seeing. Wow. What's the one thing that you think most dancers do not know about their nutrition? Because it seems to me, as you're saying that now staying at home, you have access to the refrigerator. It's right next, it's right in the next room. It's not, you know, far away from the studio anymore. If you're dancing in your living room and dancers may not have understood that they've now developed disordered either. What do you think is the one thing that they don't know about their nutrition and how can they recognize it? I would say mindful eating techniques is something that dancers can start to dive into or continue to work on just throughout their time being home, whether they feel like they are mindlessly eating a lot because they're being at home, or like I said, they're being overly controlling of their food intake. I would say a lot of dancers are mostly unaware of their ability to eat intuitively, and they're instead placing a lot of external control over their eating habits. So whether that's falling into like, I'm eating mindlessly, overdoing it, and then I'm gonna, un- and then I'm gonna restrict myself, you know, just falling into this idea that food has to be so strictly controlled. And what dancers don't realize is that it doesn't have to be that way. They can learn to fuel themselves in a more intuitive way. Okay, tell me more about what you mean by intuitive. I don't think our audience is familiar with that term. So what do you mean by sure. intuitive eating? Sure. So intuitive eating is basically a non-diet approach to fueling our body. So instead of fueling our body based on these like external calorie counts or macro counts, or just like dieting rules of someone telling us like these foods are okay, or these foods are green and these foods are bad and we shouldn't Mm -hmm. be eating them. We actually start to do the work of fueling our body with foods that we enjoy and that foods that satisfy us. Mm -hmm. So this could be utilizing an ingredient like butter, which, you know, so often in like our culture is, is a bit of a fear food, but actually can create a lot of satisfaction in a meal. And you don't even need a lot of it to have that satisfaction. So that's just like one little example of utilizing, um, this ability to fuel intuitively where you're honoring your body's preferences and satisfaction. You are also learning about your intuitive feelings of hunger and fullness, fullness being, you know, feeling full in a meal, not be, not entering this habit of just cleaning your plate to clean your plate, or again, an external calorie count telling you how much you need to eat at this meal, but rather having like your, your stomach, I was about to say tummy, because I'm so used to like speaking to my children, (laughs) your, your tummy talk to you and tell you when it's full. Um, now with hunger, things get a little bit more confusing because with dancers, many times we don't necessarily feel our hunger because when we're so physically active, hunger can naturally uh, be blunted. Our body is basically just diverting blood from our stomach to our extremities with dance. So we don't necessarily feel our hunger all the time as dancers. I know some dancers out there might be like, Oh no, I feel my hunger all the time, but there's definitely two extremes to this. But my point being is that we need to balance an intuitive approach to honoring hunger versus a proactive approach to honoring hunger. And that essentially means that we're providing our body with consistent fuel throughout the day. And at the same time, tuning into those intuitive feelings of fullness and satisfaction. I absolutely love that because, and and this is another thing that can be culturally um, significant also, you know, growing up, you know, 
there was no way I could leave the dinner, t- the dinner table unless I'd eaten all of my food. Remember, they'd be like, ah. you know, right there until you eat everything. So, it, you know, in a lot of cultures, specifically where food is a finite resource and when it's, there's, there's any sort of scarcity, and that may have to do with your cultural or, you know, more of your socioeconomic background, the concept of just of not eating everything is so foreign. It's so such a foreign concept. So to really teach dancers to really let your body tell you what is enough is is amazing i i think that's that that's awesome because your body will tell you what it needs i tell my dancers this all the time it'll, if you're listening it'll tell you what it needs all the time so that's awesome so let's go into dieting fats you know what do you think we can do to successfully combat this in a dance world because it is an issue what what can we do on the ground to work on this yeah so Education is a big one in regards to just teaching dancers how to spot and identify fads because Mm -hmm. diet culture is very good with marketing and they're very sneaky and they know how to infiltrate even an anti-diet approach like intuitive eating, you know, we can actually be turned into a diet. I've heard it called like the hunger fullness diet. And essentially, what does that mean if it's turned into a diet? Basically means that you're developing a lot of shame and guilt and thinking that you're doing something wrong. So intuitive eating really, I should add, is a very judgment-free approach to eating. And it's like, you know what? You you ate in past fullness last night. Okay, well, let's, let's let's first... calm down and there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your morality. There's nothing wrong with your values. You are not a bad person for doing that. Okay. Right. Right. I talk about this a lot with emotional eating as well. You are not a bad person if you feel like you are emotionally eating, but what else can we now learn in regards to what actually might help you with emotional eating? Maybe it's other coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. with dieting. It's learning. Well, what will actually help you? And it's realizing that you deserve to nourish your body consistently throughout the day. You as a dancer, you as a human deserves consistent nourishment throughout the day. So any restrictive type of diet that is rooted again in that unrealistic ideal of achieving a very white elitist aesthetic, okay, is what needs to be taken off the table. And what we need to focus on are other parameters, you know, how you're feeling mentally throughout the day. Mm -hmm. I know with my own disordered eating history, I was burnt out. This is what basically prevented me from continuing dance for a certain period and moving to nutrition because I was tired and burnt out. I just didn't have the energy for a dance class. I had the energy to sit in an academic class, but not in a dance class. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I had to learn how to fuel my body better, um, yeah. both physically and mentally. Yeah. So I would say ed- education is a big one. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So you, you, you bring up a good point in terms of like the, the aesthetics in dance. And I, I want to touch on that because I think it's so important. Let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about the intersectionality between body type and structure and nutrition and dance, you have these three parallel structures and how, and they, 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 there's a really complex intersectionality. We touched on it a little bit earlier, but it really talks, it, it places us in the, in the direction on the doorstep of talking about what inclusion really looks like, you know, for everyone. Is there really a place for inclusion that we can continue to promote an ideal body in dance? 
not healthy bodies? Mm, that's a really great question. And again, this actually is reminds me of a conversation I had with someone about specifically, again, it's actually Sydney, Washington. <laughs> She's wonderful. <laughs> that we, just had, we had, we had, just like you and I are having a great conversation. I had a great conversation with her and she was, we were basically talking about the fact that the industry, whether the industry is ready is one thing, whether the audience is ready is a whole nother thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Yeah. So, so we've got two things that need to happen right now. We need an industry that needs to become more open arms to different body types, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, body is very genetically determined. And anyone who is trying to severely control their body type and their body weight at a, at a place that is not where their body wants to be, their body is going to fight them. It's not going to end well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we can't have all of these dancers. And again, I realize I'm talking from a place of privilege, thin privilege, but it's very um, unrealistic to have dancers who are constantly fighting an ideal. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we need to work to change that ideal and we need to work to change the bias that the audience might feel towards various body types on stage. Yeah. How do we do that? I'll tell you how we do that. I don't know all the answers. Okay. Actually, I shouldn't really say, I can tell you how we, I really don't know all the answers, but I know one thing that, one thing that has helped me personally, mm-hmm. because, you know, we're all audience members, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're as, as dancers, yep. starting with my social feed and changing up who I'm following and following more diversity, whether that's diversity in skin colors, whether that's diversity in body types, um, that is what slowly helps to detangle, in my opinion, in a very superficial sense, but in a very millennial and maybe Gen Z sense, Mm -hmm. slowly detangle implicit bias. So, you know, we're, we're turning to Instagram so much during the day, right? It's, it's like, it's autopilot at this point, mm-hmm. we're opening it up. What's the first thing we see? Yes. Well, if we cultivate a feed that really exemplifies more diversity, mm-hmm. in my opinion, that's, what's going to subconsciously start to help our own implicit bias. Yeah, no, I, I think that's amazing. Diversify your feed like you diversify your food. That's what I say. Yes. Exactly. We, we just we 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 gotta untangle it from from the bottom up, and it definitely starts with all of the simplistic things that we're constantly fed every day that we are not even aware of. So, yeah. it, it, I mean, th- there's so many questions in my mind, Rachel. Can we even can good nutrition really truly exist in a sport or art form that's so aesthetically inclined? Can we really achieve this? Is this possible? So that's a good question. You know, first we have to actually clear up what it means to be to have good nutrition. Because mm-hmm. good nutrition in of itself, in my opinion, what I've come to learn over time is more than just our physical body. It's also our mental health. In fact, I think having a nutritious diet that supports our mental health comes before our physical health. And what that would mean for someone like myself personally is that I'm incorporating my favorite foods. Mm-hmm. I'm not restricting for example, desserts, because I like sweets. And if I were to do that, I would feel very restricted. My mind would be consumed and I would be distracted from my performance goals. So we have to redefine what good nutrition means. Now, again, I'm not, I, 
I realized that this can come off as saying like, oh, well, I just eat sweets all day. No, not at all. Actually, the, the work with intuitive eating and making peace with food, making space for all foods that we love, you mm-hmm. actually, believe it or not, over time start to realize that you are also choosing foods that make you feel good physically. So supporting that physical health. So choosing perhaps a higher fiber option, because that higher fiber option is going to provide more sustainable energy over time, which is more beneficial for like a three hour rehearsal or longer. So it's really naturally allows you to find this balance of where you are honoring your feeling your preferences and foods that you love. And then also being like, you know what? I actually, I'm craving um, some vegetables right now with my chicken because I need that fiber. I need that, that I need that roughage right now. It's going to help support energy levels, et cetera. So, so you do find a natural balance once you let go of restrictions. Yeah, no, that's amazing. So Rachel, what, what, what's next for you? You've, you've done so much work. You've had such an amazing journey. You've now come to this place where I think, you know, I, I follow you and I love your Instagram feed. It's so dynamic. Guys, if you're not following Rachel, get with it, get to the point, follow her. It's, <laughs> hello, it's obvious, but there's so many things that you have your, your toes and fingers in right now. What's the next big thing for you? What can we look out for? So I do actually have something big coming up that I'm going to actually just announce this week. So by the time this podcast comes out, it'll already be announced. So I can, uh, I would love, I'll talk about it, mm-hmm. but I'm actually starting a virtual summer dance intensive that mm-hmm. is obviously nutrition based. It's really designed to be a supplement to dancers who are currently embarking on summer dance intensives, or maybe a dancer who doesn't have access to attending an intensive. So whether that be traveling access, or financial access, I'm offering a very economical option. It's going to incorporate basically weekly discussions with myself, all centered around how to build a sustainable practice nutritionally to support physical and mental needs in the studio. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called the healthy dancer, which is my program, the healthy dancer, but summer intensive. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. That's that I would say is my biggest program that I'm working on right now. And I'm also going to be hosting a bunch of master classes, virtual, of course, through that. So it'll be fun. Oh, that is so needed. So timely, right, 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 right on time. I'm, I'm so happy that you're doing that. If you, if you had one thing that you wanted to say that if you, if you had no restrictions on resources, times, finances, anything that you can change in a dance world regarding nutrition, what would that be? I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> <laughs> no worries. If you had no restrictions on time, resources, finances, anything, what is the one thing that you would change in the dance world? I would say the body ideals, because I just feel that it really is so unfortunate that so many potentially talented students are stopping dance, whether they're being forced to stop or their own burnout and whether it be like body dysmorphia or body dissatisfaction is causing them to stop at such a young age. I think we're missing out on so much potential talent. In, in regards to all 
fields in dance, you know, in regards to who could be dance nutritionists and PTs and performers and audience members and educators and musicians. It's just, it's very sad to see a dancer stop at a young age because of the development of disordered eating. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Okay, so we are in the wrap-up phase. So we're going to talk about a couple of other questions and then we're going to go into the quick round, which is one of my favorite parts of this podcast. So what are three essential things you think every dancer should know about their body to be successful? So the first is that you do not have to restrict your food choices to be a successful dancer. In fact, I'm going to go as far as to say that when you do restrict your food sources, food choices, you will be more inclined to not be a successful dancer because you will be headed towards that road of burnout. So that would be the first thing I'd say. Mm -hmm. The second thing, the second thing I would say is to find resources, professional resources. So whether that be a dietitian, a physical therapist, a mental health therapist, Build yourself an interdisciplinary team. Now, this is something you actually spoke about last week in my conversations with the pros, which I found to be so awesome to hear in regards to you having or dancers having the ability to build a team and for resources like you and myself Mm -hmm. to offer online economical options for dancers. Like you said, we're in a very interesting time right now where Mm -hmm. these resources are available and very often they are available, even if it's just a free discovery call, just to get a dancer learning about what's out there. Like I said, I wasn't introduced to PT until I had my sprain. That could have been different if perhaps I had that education about injury prevention rather than just injury recovery. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Let's see the The third essential thing, hmm, think about this. Mm -hmm. I would say to really have self-compassion and build a practice around self-compassion, self-appreciation, and even empathy. Mm -hmm. We're all going through a lot from whether it's the pandemic, whether it's just living like this multitasking exhaustive life that I know you and I kind of just related about before we started recording have a little empathy like we're trying to do a lot and don't get me wrong I need to take my own advice with this you know what I mean I I am personally hard on myself as well but I try to remind myself that is that I'm doing the best I can and if Mm -hmm. I don't I fortunately working for myself, you know, if I don't meet a deadline, it's not necessarily the end of the world for me. So that's a privilege in of itself. I'll be honest with you. But if, if at all possible, have empathy, have self-compassion and a bit more self-appreciation, I think we can easily be a little too hard on ourselves. I love it. I love it all. What's the one thing you think you can be done to change your ways, injuries, and for you also talking about nutrition that can impact dancers as performing artists and take us to the next level? Starting education young and starting quality. Like, you know, like you said, I mean, I, this is new for me to learn when you spoke about the predisposition that black and brown dancers have to injuries because of the corrections they're getting in class that are not appropriate. Mm -hmm. right? That was eye-opening for me. Same thing goes for nutrition. Seeking professionals who have cultural sensitivities, 
or I don't know if that's the right term, but uh, cultural awareness, sorry, cultural awareness Mm -hmm. um, towards diversities and the disparities in our world and, you know, working to have a more inclusive approach in their practices. So whether that's educating about food choices and nourishing food choices or educating about injury prevention and injury recovery, just being more aware of what dancers and various dancers have access to because access is not necessarily the same across the board. Absolutely. I I think that's awesome. So quick round, Rachel, your favorite dance move. Oh my goodness. Pirouette on to Dom. Ah, lovely, lovely. Uh, (laughs) Performance. Giselle. Okay. Favorite dancer and why? I thought about this. I don't think I can choose a favorite dancer. I will tell you a favorite company and it's American Valley Theater. Mm-hmm. I would like to see more diversity there. I'll be honest with you, but we're slowly starting to see it. Yeah. But I just love, I'm, I've always been a fan of story ballets and that's their go-to during the spring Met season. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Swan Lake, Giselle, you know, all, all, all of them. I'm kind of blanking right now, but yeah. So I'm a story ballet person, so American Ballet Theater is probably one of my top favorites. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Best injury resource. Dance injury resource. Hmm. Well, to be honest, I'm going to say you because, yeah, seriously, I think that there's a ton of dance medicine professionals out there. I think we're all doing such a fabulous job. I'm trying to open my eyes to just learn about all the different professionals out there. So I know who to get referrals to. And at this moment, I am, I've just become very familiar with all the resources that you have. So especially your screening tool, by the way, which I'm still just blown away, blown away by. So in my opinion, that is probably one of the top dance injury resources out there. Thank you so much. Thank you. And you're going to finish this sentence. I wish I could. Oh, there's two things I'd like to say here. So I'm going to be really cheesy and I'm going to say, I wish I could change and diversify dietetics more. I think that the dietetics field just has such a long way to go. It's actually just very disheartening to me to see, and I know I mentioned this earlier, but to realize that so many are excluded simply because, because of financial insecurities in regards to the amount of money that has to be pushed into this career, which like really just upsets me. And this is something that I've learned in hindsight with mm-hmm. my profession. And I, and I wish I could change my profession's road to make it more accessible to more diverse populations. Yeah. And then just a little bit more lighthearted. I just wish I could finish this project that I'm working on because I've got a lot to work to do for it. And I'm like, have two all nighters basically that I'm going to pull. So I kind of just wish I can hit the fast forward button on that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love the honesty. So a parting word of advice and how can dancers connect with you? So I feel like I'm going to be a little bit repetitive, but my parting word of advice is to really consider the idea of self-appreciation because I think we can easily focus in regards to body ideals. We can say like, oh, we're working towards body acceptance, but I do feel that that idea can be very overwhelming and intimidating for dancers. So I just suggest that they start with appreciation of their body and start thinking about what their body does on a day-to-day basis. I mean, as dancers, 
for freaking incredible. Okay. Of what we can perform and do and just balancing on releve. Like nobody can do these things. One thing that I always keep in the back of my mind. That's so cool is no matter where I go in the world, it's like dance is just this universal language, you know, the, of, of what we do. And I, I just think there's something so beautiful to that. So I, for, I'm like totally losing track right now of thought, but keep going. <laughs> yeah, so just have appreciation for what you can do because you can do a lot and we need to just have a lot, a bit more confidence in that. And in regards to how dancers can connect with me, I would say through Instagram to the point nutrition, that's probably where I spend most of my time this, these days, but I also have a great resource site, dancenutrition.com, where I post articles weekly pretty much all centered around nutrition mm-hmm. and building a more positive relationship with both food and bodies. So any dancer who's looking to learn more about that, learn more about intuitive eating, learn more about my opinion of various fad diets, like the keto diet, et cetera, head over to dancenutrition.com because I really do post a ton of resources on there. Oh, wow. Rachel, this was amazing and awesome. Your wealth of knowledge. You're so knowledgeable that the passion just burst through the screen. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend um, with us and talk to our dancers about all of your amazing knowledge. Thank you so much. Thank you. It really was an honor, Danelle. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Dancing Around Elephants. I would love if you can share this podcast and leave a review. People that leave reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms that take just 60 to 90 seconds to show some love and give context to others about why this conversation is important means the world. Thank you in advance. I appreciate you. Do you want resources to start becoming the best dancer that you can be? Click on the link and access Dr. D's Dance Toolbox. So many amazing tools including my signature program, Dance Bridge Online, to get you bulletproof from dance injuries. Also, if you know of a dancer that you'd like me to interview for this podcast, shoot me a message at info at 3ptdc.com and share your thoughts. Catch you next time. Welcome back, guys. Um, We are completing... Welcome back, guys. This is part two of our conversation with Rachel Fine. Please go back and listen to part one if you haven't already. It was such an amazing conversation and will really set the context for part two. So let's dive right in.